welcome to The Happy Writer. This is a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and to help authors find more joy in their writing. I am your host, Marissa Meyer. Thank you for joining me. One thing that's making me happy this week, did you know that next year, 2022, is the 10-year anniversary of Cinder? My very first novel came out in 2012. And my publisher has decided to try to make a big deal out of it. And so they're like releasing a special edition and we're going to be coming up with, I don't know, some fun promo stuff. And so I have been brainstorming and trying to come up with something really fun that I can do to kind of celebrate. And I really wanted to give something back to you guys, the readers. And I, a few months ago, had this really wacky idea for a new writing project. Um, And I'm going to have to be really vague about it because we haven't announced it yet. But it is a new story. It's something that's very different than I have ever written before. Um, But it's going to be so much fun. And I'm so excited for it. And just this week, my publisher gave me the thumbs up to go forward and write it. And we will make a way to get it to you guys next year around the release of uh, the Cinder 10-year anniversary edition. So I know that's vague. I know it's like a huge teaser. More details will come, obviously. Um, But just for now, I'm so excited and having so much fun with it. Also making me happy today is that for this episode, I have a partner in crime to help me out. If you recall, a few months back, we asked you listeners to fill out a survey and tell us how we were doing on this podcast. And listeners who filled out that survey were entered to win a chance to co-host an episode. Well, today is that episode. We're going to have so much fun. Without further ado, please let me introduce my co-host. She is a 21-year-old senior at Utah Valley University, where she is currently studying English with an emphasis in creative writing. She also works as an assistant librarian at her local library and is generally very passionate about reading and writing. Please welcome Allison Phillips. Hello. Hi. Welcome, Allison. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure. Uh, I have to ask, as my co-host, what is making you happy this week? Oh, well, um, it would probably be cheating if I said doing this podcast right now. (laughs) Totally cheating. Can I answer it? (laughs) it. (laughs) Um, Well, oh, now I have to think about this. I'm joking. You actually can use that answer. Oh, okay. I will allow it. (laughs) Okay, sure. Yeah, let's just stick with that. (laughs) Um, and how are you feeling? Are you, do you feel ready and excited? Um, as ready as I'll ever be, definitely very excited and definitely very nervous, but that's okay. We'll just keep going forward. It's going to be so much fun. You picked an awesome guest for us to talk to. Um, and on that note, would you please do the honors of introducing today's guest? I would love to. Um, our guest author today is the number one New York Times best-selling author of many, many books, including the Legend series, the Young Elites trilogy, the Warcross series, Batman Nightwalker, The Kingdom of Back, and most recently, Sky Hunter. Her next book, Steel Striker, comes out on September 28th. Everyone, please welcome Marie Lou. 
Hi, everyone. Thank you so much, Allison um, and Marissa, for having me on the podcast. I am super excited to talk with all of you. <laughs> we are very, very happy to have you. And Allison, in, we were emailing and I asked her what author, like, who's your number one that you would like to talk to? And your name came up and I was like, yes, definitely. I would love to have Marie on. So this is perfect. Oh, well, thank you. It's absolutely my honor to be on. Um, and I'm super excited to talk to you, Allison. I'm excited to talk to you too. So that works out. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into Allison's questions, I have a question for each of you. Uh, first of all, Allison, of all of the authors that you could have requested to talk to here on the Happy Writer podcast, why Marie? That is a great question. Um, well, I think most of us have heard of Marie's name. She is a pillar in the young adult book community. Um, I was introduced to her work when I was in middle school, actually, with the Legend series, as many people were probably. Um, and those years were very formative for my journey as a writer. That's when I really discovered my love for writing and realized I wanted to be a writer. Um, and there were several books that kind of cemented that passion for me, um, one of which being The Lunar Chronicles, of course, by you, Marissa, but the other one um, being The Legend Trilogy by Marie, actually. I remember um, being in ninth grade and on the bus to like a field trip or something and discussing the end of Champion, which I won't spoil because it's so good, but it was so emotionally impactful that me and my friends, we just sat down and talked about it the whole bus ride there. Oh, you guys are giving me all the feels. Okay. <laughs> um, thank you so, so much, Allison. And it means, I can't tell you what it means to me to, to hear that and especially to hear that you were reading it in middle school. Um, I remember that time being so formative for myself as well uh, as a writer and how much the books that I read meant to me then and what an impact they made on me when I was, you know, learning how to, learning the craft, learning how to write. And so I, I can't tell you what that means. Thank you so, so much. It, it I, gosh. And also, oh my gosh, I can't believe Legend has been out in the world for, for so long. <laughs> it kind of feels like yesterday sometimes, but um, yeah, thank you so much. What year did Legend come out? Uh, 2011. Okay. Yeah. I knew it was close to Cinder. I wasn't sure if it was yeah. 10 year or a little before. Yeah. Oh, you know. just had your 10 year anniversary. Yeah. It's, well, it's coming up in okay. like a couple of months. Yeah. Are you doing anything special for it? Um, maybe like privately. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I'm just really honored and excited that legend has been around for so long and it's it I don't know now I hear you know like I hear from readers who like you Allison had read it in middle school and are now you know in college and doing amazing things with your lives and becoming writers so it's just it's truly an honor to be um to have been read by by you so thank you <laughs> well thank you so that is an excellent seg into my question for you, Marie, um, because we usually start with our interviews here on the podcast, wanting to know about your author origin story. 
so I'd love to know whether that's how you knew that you wanted to be a writer or how did legend come to be published? What is your origin story? Yeah. Um, I, I guess like the, the beginning, beginning of my origin story is, um, I moved to the States when I was five, uh, from China and settled with my parents in, in Louisiana, in New Orleans. And, um, and I didn't know English yet and my parents didn't either. So, um, my mom gave me this assignment to go to kindergarten every day and like write down five English words and memorize them and put them into sentences and like, look at what they meant and that kind of thing. So, um, so that was technically how I started writing was that I needed to learn the language. And, um, and then like very quickly, once I, you know, had picked up enough of the language to know what to do with it. I realized that I just really enjoyed writing these little paragraphs for myself every day. So I started doing it all the time. Like I remember I, um, you know, I liked, I liked reading a lot. Uh, once I learned English, I liked um, things like drawing and playing video games, all the, like the, like I always knew that was kind of like a, like a right brain kid. Um, but I really loved writing. Um, and I remember stapling together little booklets for myself and, like putting little illustrations and paragraphs in them and just writing little fan fiction and things like that. And, but I didn't really know that you could become a writer. Like, I don't know where I thought books came from. I just thought they just kind of like fell out of the ether and were in the library and never associated the names on those um, books with real people. But, um, but, and that didn't happen until I was in, in middle school. I was, I want to say I was 13 and I read some article in the paper about this 13 year old girl who had gotten her first book deal with Simon and Schuster. Yeah. I, um, I can't remember her name. Oh, it was Amelia Atwater Rhodes. Uh, and she had written a vampire book and sold it. And I just thought that was the coolest. It would like blew my mind because first I was like, oh my God, real people write books. Like <laughs> that's the thing. And then I was like, oh my God, she's 13 and I'm 13 if she can do it, maybe I can do it. And I remember feeling just so blown away by that article that I just started writing more seriously. That was the moment when I knew I wanted to become a writer somehow in some way. So I started writing more seriously and I wrote my first um, really awful novel when I was 14. Um, it was like a Lord of the Rings knockoff. I really hope none of you ever see Oh, mine too. My first really awful right. novel was also a Lord of the Rings knockoff. Right. Oh, bless Tolkien. <laughs> generation of writers he inspired. Um, yeah, I, it, it was, it was so bad. I thought it was great. I mean, I, I sent it to like every agent and um, got like a hundred rejection letters back. No one even wanted to like ask for chapters because they're like, this is terrible. Um, but then I wrote like, I remember I wrote a second manuscript um, a few years later and I did get an agent with it, but we shopped it around and, and it just wasn't good enough to be picked up. So it didn't get anywhere. And then I went to college and I thought I was going to be like a doctor or a lawyer or something a little bit more stable. So I studied biology and political science, both of really, which were really interesting, but I don't think I was really cut out for either one of those professions. Um, and then I wrote like a third draft that my agent really hated. My agent at the time really hated. And so we parted ways and I went in like this big circle um, and then stopped writing for a couple of years uh, in college. And then and then I ended up in, in video games for a while because like I was graduating. I didn't know what to do with my life. And I was just feeling kind of like, well, you know, I'm my writing's not going anywhere. Maybe I'm not meant for like something in the creative fields. You know, I remember having that feeling when I was 
um, like 21 or 22 and just feeling like, you know, maybe this is like a pipe dream. This is something that I'm not really cut out for. And so, um, so I remember feeling pretty dejected, like before I was about to graduate, just walking around campus, feeling very emo about it, the whole, the whole thing. And then, um, and then I walked past this, this kiosk on campus that had uh, a bulletin on it from the, from the Walt Disney studios and that their video game division was having an internship. And so the, the thing literally said like, do you like to play video games? Do you like to draw? And I was like, I like both of those things. Great. And then I read the whole thing and they're like, oh, well, we're looking for interns to come work with us for six months um, paid. And what you do is you come up with video game ideas for six months for us in a think tank. And I was like, that sounds amazing. Um, and I think it was like my, it was like the perfect excuse at the time for me to kind of run away from my responsibilities. I was supposed to go to law school and was about to like, send in the acceptance letter and all that. And then I was like, I can't, I can't do it. So I was just like running back to my dorm and looking up everything about this internship and then ended up um, uh, filling out an application and uh, getting into this internship. And I ended up in video games for a while. And I always tell that because uh, as part of the writing journey, just because working in video games was probably my best experience that I ever had in a, in a corporate world Um, because it was my first experience working in an environment completely surrounded by other creatives. And I had never been around that um, in my life up until then. And all of a sudden I was around these people who were really interested in things like story and art and um, things that I didn't think that quote, quote, adults were allowed to be enthusiastic about, you know, like fantasy and sci-fi, like they were, they were all kind of like-minded people. And so so that gave me back my writing inspiration. And I remember a few months after I began working there, um, I started writing again. And I wrote a fourth manuscript um, and submitted it and uh, got a new agent with it, my current agent, Kristen Nelson. And uh, she shopped around and didn't get anywhere. But but while that was getting rejected, I was writing Legend. Um, so Legend was my fifth. And... Uh, and I remember when we sent that out, the response was was so different from all of my past rejected manuscripts. And it was like we submitted it. And then within, you know, like three days, we had an offer. And I just remember thinking, oh, my God, is this what it's like? <laughs> so it was it was a really, you know, and I remember at the time, I don't remember who asked me. They're like, oh, oh, my God, it was an overnight success. And and I was like, well, you know, it was like overnight in like 12 years. <laughs> So sort of overnight, (laughs) but it took a long time to get to that point. And, you know, it changed my life and I've been incredibly grateful and humbled to be doing this uh, ever since then. So that's kind of like my, my abbreviated, you know, how I, how I came to be a writer (laughs) story. I love that story. I love how many twists and turns that it took. (laughs) And yet Uh, it was like not of stuff. (laughs) Yeah. But yet there's this through line of wanting to create stories and like your life just kind of kept pulling you back to that. So to me, I mean, you were clearly destined for this. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like uh, uh, for a lot of creative people, it can be like, especially with writing. And I think that we all go through periods of where we feel incredibly creative and able to write and periods of of writer's block and of um, 
you know, where you feel like you, you can't do it, or this is your last time, or you're never going to make it. And then, and, and even when the inspiration runs low, you know, I feel like eventually when you're a creative person, that, that itch just always comes back at some point. So, yeah. you know, and, and with the pandemic, I know it's been so hard on, on so many creative people and like it, it weighs on you. So I, and I know that it's been hard for a lot of writers that I know, but you know, eventually that inspiration will come back again. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That makes me really curious, Allison. And I know you have like a bunch of questions prepared that you're probably like itching to get to, but I want to know, cause you're going to college and getting a creative writing degree. Where are you on your journey? Like, are you working on a manuscript? Have you queried agents yet? Like what's, where are you? Um, that is an excellent question. <laughs> I have not gotten to the querying um, point yet. I have written many first drafts of many books. Um, I'm definitely very busy with school right now. So unfortunately, I have not made progress in my current uh, first draft of manuscript there. But um, the goal one day is to be published. So I'm just towards the beginning of that journey for sure. Yeah. You will get there for sure. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, and I think it's so great, actually, that you are working really hard on writing first drafts until you find something that you love before you query it. Um, I think I've spoken to a lot of people who who are in a rush to get that first query letter out, but it sounds like very much like you are working on your craft um, and, and like, that is truly the most important step. So that is awesome. And I am so excited for you. I love that you're, you're in a, a creative writing degree and that you're doing this and I, you will get there. Like Marissa said, it's super exciting. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Allison, why don't you go ahead with, uh, whatever questions you have for Marie? Oh, yes. Sounds good. Um, well, let's start with the big one. Um, Marie, can you tell listeners about the book Sky Hunter and Steel Striker for us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sky Hunter and Steel Striker are a duology. So Steel Striker will actually round out this, this current series. Um, Sky Hunter is set in the far future like 5,000 years in our future um, in a regressed version of our society where they have completely forgotten that we've existed. You know, this is um, a world where um, some calamity happened in the past and kind of wiped us from the face of the planet, except for, you know, remaining ruins. So, so people 5,000 years in the future are living in this, in this regressed society where they, they can see the ruins of our society, but they don't really know a lot about what happened to us. Um, in this world, um, there is a, there's a massive war going on between this giant federation that has taken over pretty much every country in the world and this tiny, tiny country called Mara, which is the last free nation in the world. And the story follows a girl named Talon, who is one of the most elite warriors uh, in this tiny country of Mara um, and how she and her found family of other elite warriors are doing their best to try to hold the line uh, against this federation that um, is, is very, very close to taking them over. Um, so it's about her. And it's also about this boy named red uh, and red is a, uh, uh, escaped Federation soldier that they find and capture on the war front one day. And, um, is supposed to be executed, but Talon steps in for him. Um, 
and with the feeling that she's there's something about him that could be useful, you know, Tamara and and the two of them just absolutely hate each other at first. It's very much like an enemies to lovers story um, where they are from opposite sides um, of this war. But then one day, you know, she discovers that um, he may actually be um, the secret to Mara winning this war. There is something mysterious about him. Um, that uh, that could help them turn the tide. So the story is 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 very much about their relationship and how it changes. It's about what exactly is red, and um, and Talon and her found family. It's very much a story about you know who in your life um, deserves your love and your care and um, the people that she surrounds herself with. So I, I it's I had so much fun writing this story. Um, it it's a book that. Um, that happened during the pandemic. So this is my pandemic series. And it was both the most difficult thing I've ever had to write because of the pandemic, but also one of the most rewarding, um, probably also because of that, because I, you know, in going through Talon's struggles um, through Skyhunter and now with Steel Striker, the conclusion, I, I felt like I was channeling a lot of my own feelings and emotions into it. And it gave me a lot of catharsis. So I am really, really excited for, for people to get a chance to read about Talon and Red um, and see what happens to them in Steel Striker. Um, that perfectly leads into one of my questions, actually. Um, because I, as I was reading these books, and I mean this in the best way possible, they seemed like emotionally exhausting books to write. <laughs> Oh, thank you. <laughs> that does mean a lot. I'm glad that it came across. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely came across. Um, so, and you touched on this already a little bit, but I was wondering if maybe you could expand on that and talk about the happy writer side of it. Like, how did you keep your mental health in check while writing these very dark, exhausting stories? Yeah, I, I think when it comes to writing dark stories, the only way that I find myself able to get through it is by putting in, you know, the pinpoints of light. And with, with Sky Hunter and Steel Striker, it was very, very much um, glimpses of talent, the good people in Talon's life. And the fact that Talon herself is a good person. Um, the other very dark series that I wrote was the Young Elites. And, mm-hmm. and, and the Young Elites was, was difficult for me looking back because I chose to write it um, so that the main character was the villain. And it was a very, very exhausting headspace to be in for years and years. So when I wrote this series, I knew immediately that I wanted, even though the story to be dark, that Talon's headspace was a good place to be. And that, um, and Red's headspace was a good place to be. You know, Red is uh, the other point of view character that we get in Steel Striker. And they are both, young people who have, you know, they're not, they're not perfect. They're not Clark Kent's or anything like that, but they're, but they've made mistakes, but they're, but they're fundamentally good people at heart. And, and, and what made them good people and what made Talon especially a good person is that she has good people in her life. And she has, she has a group of friends that she has chosen that um, prop her up when she's down and support her through her tough times and I really loved writing about that. I loved writing about her relationship with her mother. She has a very strong bond with her mother. Um, and these kind of very human um, comforts um, kind of kept me going through this series. Because otherwise, I feel like this would have just been the most depressing series to write. I would have never been able to pull myself through it. 
but I really loved writing that. It, it kind of allowed me t- to think about the people that, that mattered, you know, in my own life and, and talk about that um, in the writing. So, so I, I feel like you need that cushion when you write a dark story. So, um, so that was what pulled me through. Mm. Wow. That was a beautiful answer. <laughs> One of the things that I love too, especially about Talon, is there's so much optimism in this character. And, and in these books, the odds are just stacked against these characters. I mean, you can just feel the Federation looming over them. And there's so many points where it seems like there's they they have no reason to keep fighting, and yet they always persevere. And for me as a reader, like there was a lot of strength coming from that. Thank you. Thank you. That, that means a lot to me to hear. Um, yeah, no, they were wonderful characters and they're some of my favorite that you've ever written. Um, and on that note, um, as you said, Steel Striker is told in two different perspectives, um, Mm -hmm. from Talon and from Red. Um, I was wondering how do you keep different character voices separate and how do you make them sound unique? That's a great question and actually really difficult to do. I still find it very hard. Um, I, I remember feeling challenged by it with legend uh, and, and it's still hard. And usually in my first drafts, the the voices tend to sound similar just because I'm like, I'm trying to, you know, like quantity over quality. I'm just like trying to get through the book. Um, and, but then I go back and I feel like when, when, I can get a chance to slow down and really flesh out my characters. Um, I get a chance to see how they differ, differ from each other. And I think that's probably one of the most important things about writing first person, um, different point of views is you want to pick two characters who are very fundamentally different. Um, and they can offer different points of view and they can sound different in that sense. So you know, Talon and Red are from opposite sides of the tracks. They are from opposite sides of a war. And, and, and in the case, in the very specific case of Sky Hunter and Steel Striker, they are also from different uh, cultures. So they have different languages that they speak and um, it all appears as English on the page, but, but Red struggles, you know, with how he should be phrasing things, you know, so that the other people in Mara can understand him, or if he's not understanding like a custom uh, from the other side. And and that kind of that hesitation, his speech is a little bit more formal than Talon's because of that. It's a little bit more hesitant. And, and so I was, I was constantly looking for like these little moments that of their personalities that I could pull out into, into something that you could see on the page as like a difference in their their diction or the way they think. Um, so uh, it was that along with what he had experienced in the Federation, having been a soldier in the Federation as a boy soldier who had witnessed and been a part of terrible things that, that the Federation has done, um, what that does to a psyche as opposed to Talon who um, has always been fighting from the outside and then now suddenly finds herself on the inside in Steel Striker. So it was it was trying to find a lot of these little moments um, to pull from them, like differences in their personalities, differences in the way they react to the world around them that helps to differentiate their voices. But it's a very slow process. And it was definitely like every every revision that I wrote, you know, that got refined a little bit more, but it, it took a, a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I definitely think you were successful. It came across, they came across as very different characters. So I think it worked. Thank you. I'm glad. And then on that note, um, one thing I love about Talon's character is that she communicates through sign language Mm -hmm. um, rather than vocalizing. Um, And I imagine that there is definitely a level of sensitivity and awareness you have to have for your readers um, who relate to this aspect of her character. So I want to know how you approached writing Talon while keeping your audience in mind. Yes, that's a great question. I think with Talon and um, her sign language uh, and the fact that she doesn't speak, I I had always envisioned her walking into my head fully formed as a character who communicated um, through sign language and not by her voice. And a lot of it came from the world building of this place. Um, the land of Mara and the Federation is a place where monsters roam uh, the earth. So um, they have incredible hearing. So they can find you from like a mile away. They can hear human voices really, really well. Um, this is, they're engineered by the Federation and this is how the Federation has actually conquered most of this planet. So um, so Mara soldiers um, are taught uh, from a very early age how to communicate without their voices on the war front. And so with developing Talon, I knew that I wanted this to be her strength. This was her um, unique talent that she had that set her apart from her fellow warriors in that she she grew up um, learning how to speak sign language, um, learning how to use sign language, learning how to be um, stealthy on the war front. Like this was something that she immediately had in common with her fellow soldiers and she picked it up faster than pretty much anyone else. I knew that this was her strength. The other side of her that I wanted to highlight was that she uh, is an immigrant to Mara. She is originally from one of the countries that had fallen um, to the Federation and she and her mother had fled into the, uh, the boundaries of Mara um, when she was very small. So the, there was a part of that that mirrored how I felt the first year that I spent in America. Um, I don't really remember what my personality was like when I was in China, but I, I, I was apparently, you know, a little bit different. And and I just have this memory of coming to America and and not understanding the language and and being fairly quiet for that first year and spending most of that time just observing and learning. And, and a lot of that went into Talon's characterization because she, um, she is from another country. She is um, loyal to Mara, um, but Mara itself doesn't necessarily give her the respect that she deserves because she's an outsider. And, and I, and I think a part of that got channeled into her, her characterizations as well. Um, I, I wanted I wanted this to be a part of her that was complex and real and um, and a show of her own strength and a show of how she sees the world and how she observes everything around her. Um, so a, a lot of that went into her characterization, um, a lot of care and thought. Uh, I think that she 
she is somebody that I wish I could be more like, you know, I think that she has this quiet sense of observation and understanding. um, And, and, and the fact that she's surrounded by a crew that, um, that understands her and gets her uh, there's, there's something very comforting I find uh, about that. Mm -hmm. Mm, For sure. I'm really curious, Marie, because, you know, as we've talked about, we have this main character who speaks only through sign language. And we also have a number of characters from different countries who all speak different languages and don't all necessarily understand each other. And there's, I mean, you're really playing with a lot of different ideas of communication and how can people communicate when we don't speak the same language and obviously there's some big thematic things we could dig into there but on a craft level I mean it just seems like you are setting yourself up for some really unique challenges here did you ever think to yourself like huh why am I doing this? Why do I have to have so many different languages and, and ways of communicating between these characters? Like, did you ever regret that decision? Oh, many times. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I remember like one of the first drafts, my editor and I were talking this through and she's like, and I remember at some point she's like, you don't have to do this. (laughs) I was like, you know, you're probably right. And I sat there and I was like, I just can't, I can't, it's gotta be this way (laughs) Mm -hmm. because I, it took me a while to realize, and this kind of segs back into your question about Talon and her use of sign language and that, and it was, I realized that one of the big overarching themes of the series was communication Mm -hmm. and um, breakdowns in communication that happen when we have um, barriers of language, barriers of borders, um, what that can due to, to break down, you know, trusting in one another, um, and that sort of thing. So a lot of it was, was about communication. And I was like, Oh, I guess I have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I just kind of knew that it had to be in there. And it was really, it was, it was a trip to, to, to wrestle with so many different, you know, characters who spoke different things. And, and there were times where they're like in, you know, in the Federation. I'm like, oh wait, nobody understands what anyone's saying here. Um, quick, I need one of them to become a translator. So I had to go back and rewrite one of the characters, Jaren, who, who's probably one of my favorite characters into like, I'm like, okay, you worked as a translator. You actually understand both sides. There was a lot of that kind of thing, you know, happening, like lots of shifting of, of what characters could speak and what they couldn't speak and who could understand what? And it, it, yeah, there was like five different languages happening. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it, not, I, I don't think I'm going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I will just say as a reader, I loved it because it felt so authentic and, and really does. I mean, you can really get that theme of, of the importance of communication coming through. As a writer, I spent the books thinking, oh, Marie, why would you do this to yourself? <laughs> Oh, oh, I don't know why we do anything to ourselves. (laughs) I'm like, oh, brain. Why are you? (laughs) I was actually going to say the same thing, Marissa. Um, I feel like the different languages, while it's very hard, it adds a richness to the world building. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I really love about your books, Marie, is the world building is amazing. <laughs> it's very, um, it's very immersive and tangible, and you include a lot of real life science and technology and politics into your worlds, which definitely appeals to Ravenclaws like me. Um, <laughs> so I just want to know or can you talk about your world building process a little like does it all just come to you how much do you have to research stuff like that yeah sure um it's very chaotic <laughs> for me <laughs> i i have a tendency to world build about half roughly half of the world before i start first drafting it, because i've realized in the past that no matter how much world building i do that first draft is really where I test the world um, and realize and poke holes in it and realize what I wanted to put in and didn't put in. So the other, the second half of it happens basically as I'm drafting in that first draft. So the first, my first drafts are like incomprehensible because the world in the beginning of the book will be different from the world in the end of the book. And, and then to, I basically call that like draft zero because I can't even send it to my editor because it makes no sense. Um, and that's, that's my time when I'm figuring the world out and when I'm asking myself questions. Um, with Skyhunter in particular, usually it starts off with, like the earliest forms of world building for me usually start off with some article I read or some picture that I saw. And in this case, I read this really fascinating nonfiction that I would highly recommend. And it's called Fallen Glory, The Lives and Deaths of history's greatest buildings and it was recommended to me by Roshni Chakshi actually mm-hmm. and she had talked about it on her insta and she has like some of the best book recs out there and I read it and it was it's about all of these huge huge massive famous ancient buildings that existed and some of them not so ancient um you know it kind of goes from like 5,000 years ago to almost present day um and how you know we had things like the the like Babylon, you know, and the library of Alexandria and, and these countless palaces that were built by ancient Kings. And they all thought that they were going to be immortal. And this was like their pillar to immortality and like the tower of Babel, that kind of thing. And then they just kind of disappeared into the sands of time. And I found that so evocative and so eerie and so, um, ripe for thinking about with our civilization where I was like, you know, 5,000 years is so long that I can't even comprehend it sometimes. And where will we be, you know, 5,000 years from now? Cause 5,000 years ago was a very, very different world. And another 5,000 years, I'm like, will we be here? Will people just be going through the ruins of like, I don't know, the library of Congress's Twitter library. <laughs> you know, like what will people make of us? So, um, so that was the, my first spark. For the world. And then I will kind of start writing out a little document. I have like a little um, spreadsheet that I kind of fill out in the beginning where it's like, what are the countries? What is the weather? Is this set on a completely different planet or is this set on ours? Uh, what is the economy? What is the, you know, and so on and so forth. And then as I develop characters, their characteristics will also inform how I choose to structure the world building, you know, um, I knew early on that I wanted some kind of monster in this story. And I think the earliest version of Sky Hunter was that the world had been completely destroyed. It was just overrun with monsters. And there was like a few, like a few bands of people, very like, very Walking Dead. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and 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 that was the original world. But then it started the civilization that started getting a little bit more organized in my head. And I thought, oh well, I want Talon to have this found family in this crew of elite warriors. Well, what are they defending? And then slowly you know, I started coming up with the idea of like, oh, well, maybe it's this, maybe the monsters are actually controlled by something. Maybe they're controlled by a country. Maybe they're controlled by, you know, a more organized entity. And then the Federation came into being. And then so, so the world kind of slowly grew out of bits and pieces of things that I'm thinking about, but also bits and pieces of the characters I was creating into what it ended up being. And a lot of it is just asking myself questions, just lots of like, well, why this? Or what if this? Or what if that? Or, and until I get to a point where it feels like, you know, like a more tangible world. Um, it's a very, very long, like layering process. And I, and like, even when I'm like two or three rounds into revisions, I'm still, you know, figuring that those little bits out and and I don't know how do you do it Marissa I because your worlds are so so evocative and lush and and full um <laughs> and I'm curious what your process is like thank you well I'm I'm laughing because honestly my process sounds exactly like your process <laughs> like very messy very kind of obscure at first and mm-hmm. like I've got this little pinpoint of light on this idea and then as I'm writing and writing and revising and editing, that light slowly gets bigger until I can mm-hmm. see a little bit more. And now I can see a little bit more, um, but it does not happen quickly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's over many, many drafts. Oh, that's fascinating. I love that analogy of the pinprick of light. Yeah. <laughs> world building is like my nemesis sometimes I feel and people I get lots of compliments on my world building so I guess I'm doing okay but I always feel like it's one of my weaknesses like I feel like I have to work really hard on it I feel the exact same way about my world building but but I would never be able to tell that from your books or um, yours ditto <laughs> so there you go <laughs> we're doing okay <laughs> yeah. oh, that's funny um I have to say that's encouraging to hear you guys talk about how um, you feel like world building is one of your weaknesses when your world building is what like I aspire to achieve in my writing. So it's it's good to hear. Yeah. High five, Marie. (laughs) Um, I want to change directions completely um, and ask real quick about a different book of yours, Marie. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite book that I've read this year, and it's actually one of my favorite books of all time now, is The Kingdom of Back, written by oh, you. No. You mentioned, or I can't remember if you mentioned it in this podcast or if I just read it somewhere, but you said that that was one of your first attempts uh, to publish a book, and it didn't work out um, years ago when you first tried, yes. and then it was published last year. Um, <laughs> I want to maybe hear your thoughts on the process of revisiting a book or maybe advice you have to writers that are getting the not now answer? That is such a good question. And yes, that is absolutely true. Um, So back when I was talking about how I, you know, once I went into video games, I got my inspiration back for writing. And then I wrote a fourth manuscript that I got uh, my agent Kristen with, but, and we shopped it, but nobody took it. And then I, while that was getting rejected, I wrote legend. So that fourth book was the kingdom of back. And mm-hmm. at the time, um, I, I was absolutely, I, I've always been a Mozart fan. 
So I, I was absolutely in love with that book. Um, and it was the first manuscript that I wrote where after we got rejected, I felt like, yes, that my writing was still a little bit uneven, but I think it was getting rejected more for the fact that it was a difficult book to place in the market and not as much for the writing itself. And, and, and it was kind of a shift in the way that I saw my own writing not that I thought it was good enough for publication yet, because I went back through. I was like, "Oh God, this needs revision." Um, so, the, so the one that actually came out is is quite a bit different. Um, but, but I remember at the time, uh, this was this must have been two thousand and nine, I want to say, and historical fiction was just not a thing. You know, like Hamilton hadn't happened yet. Like it wasn't. It just nobody cared about historical fiction. And um, and I remember my agent uh, shopping it around, and she's like, "Marie, all the answers are." The adult publishers don't know, think that is why the why publishers think it's adult and nobody knows where this would fit and it's historical fiction. And I love it, but I really don't think anyone knows how to market this book. And um, and so so it was it, it was getting rejected for I think a slightly different reason than the first couple of manuscripts that I wrote. And so we both kind of just agreed that, you know, maybe this is like a strange little outlier book, but and I remember at the time Kristen saying something along the lines of like, you know, it's maybe it's time to shelve it for now, but maybe it's something we can revisit later. And so I remember just shelving it um, along with the rest of my old manuscripts. But as the years went on, I found myself always just kind of thinking about that book. And I think that's what made it different was that my brain never really put it to rest. Um, I was still in love with the story and still kind of enchanted with um the story of like Nanaro Mozart and, and Wolfgang Mozart and just found myself tinkering with the book every now and then. Like my agent and I now have this joke of just like how many different versions of this book she has in her like, <laughs> folder on her computer. Cause every couple of years I would send her like a slightly tweaked version and then she's like, okay, great. And then something would come up, you know, and my schedule wouldn't fit. She's like, are you still working on, you know, can, are we going to try this year? And I was like, no, I'm too busy. I'm traveling. Can't maybe next year. And so it, that just kind of went on for like 10 years. And finally, I think there was just like this perfect lineup of um, schedule and like my book releases. And then one day, Chris and I were like, you know, I think people would buy a historical fantasy right now. This was like 2019 now. So, you know, historical fiction was doing better. Hamilton had come out. Everyone was interested in history. Um, and then we were like, maybe we should revisit the kingdom of back. So I remember going back and reopening, kind of like dusting off the metaphorically dusting off my digital file and reading through it. And the writing was, was definitely rougher than I liked. But at the same time, I was like, I love this book. I love this book. And it, so it's very much like a book of my heart. It's very, very different from my other books, but it was just that it was just something, you know, about it. And I think that for aspiring writers out there, you know, if you love, love, love your manuscripts, sometimes, sometimes it's just the market is not right for it. And it has nothing to do with the quality of your book or your idea. Sometimes it's just, you're just waiting for the right moment. And so, you know, putting your book away doesn't have to mean that it's forever. It doesn't mean that you failed. It doesn't mean that, you know, you can never revisit it again. Um, sometimes you can submit it again. And and it ended up selling to, to my, my current editor. I've been working with the same editor for 10 years, and I absolutely adore her, Jen Besser. And she had actually um, 
been one of the editors back in 2009 who had liked the book but couldn't get it past editorial board hmm. uh, at the time. So, so you know, 10 years later, we gave it to her again and and she loved it and we sold it. So, um, yeah, very long journey for my little book. <laughs> so it means a lot to me that you liked it. Um, it's such a good book. So if anyone listening hasn't read that book yet, read Sky Hunter and Steel Striker first, but then with the Kingdom of Back. <laughs> that was like the most encouraging story too. And such a great reminder that like, if you love a book, don't give up on it. You just never know. Absolutely. Awesome. Are you both ready for our happy writer bonus round? Yay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so I will ask the questions this time, um, and I will let both of you answer. Um, should we do Marie can answer first, and then Allison? Does it matter? That sounds good to me. Sure, sounds good. Okay, tea or coffee? Tea. Um, I don't drink either, so none of the above. What? <laughs> then what on earth do you drink? Are there other beverages? <laughs> Um, I'm a Diet Coke fiend. That's what I drink. Oh, okay. nice. <laughs> Plotter or pantser? Water or, or what? Plotter or pantser? Oh, sorry. I'm still on beverages. Um, <laughs> I am a pantser for sure. I'm a pantser as well. I'm surprised, Marie. I totally thought you were going to be a plotter. Really? Oh, I did. <laughs> That means a lot to hear. I really wish I was a plotter. I try very hard, but it never works. <laughs> Music or silence? Music. Music as well. Yay. Writing in the morning or writing at night? Definitely writing in the morning. Um, I'm a morning person as well. <laughs> yeah. Twins, my goodness. I know. <laughs> striker or sky hunter? Ooh, striker. Striker. Um, I'm going to say Sky Hunter because I like the idea of wings. That seems pretty cool. Yay, yay. Me too, I Alice. And I would definitely go Sky Hunter as well. <laughs> if I could get the wings without like the process of getting the wings, maybe. Mm. Exactly. The trauma. Or yeah. Pop me out for three months so I don't have to experience the feelings. <laughs> what is your favorite writing snack? Ooh, Flaming Hot Cheetos. Oh. <laughs> Um, I don't really have a writing snack, so none for me, I guess. Marie, how do you keep the Cheeto dust from getting all over your keyboard? Uh, the key? Oh, on my keyboard? I don't know. On my fingers, I use chopsticks. That is the key for eating. Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. Try it. <laughs> That's like so simple and so genius. <laughs> right? Wow. Huh. Okay. I feel like I've learned. I I've eaten way too many of these. <laughs> what is one small thing that brings you a lot of joy? Mm, a small thing? Um, I guess my, my kid is pretty small. He's, <laughs> he's two and a half. He, oh. Yeah, he takes up. I mean, he, he's a big part of, of, of my life, but he's physically quite small. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, this is going to sound basic and cliche, but just sitting down with a good book and reading makes me very, very happy. I love that so, so much. That is not cliche at all, just perfect. And so fitting for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone listening is nodding their heads. <laughs> On that note, what book makes you happy? 
Oh gosh. Um, the red wall series. Mm. I think about it. That was one of my formative middle, middle school series that got me into fantasy. <laughs> um, for me, it's a popular answer, but Six of Crows by Lee Bardugo. Mm, I read uh, that one a lot. Great choice, yes. <laughs> what are you working on next? Ooh, I can't, I, I can't talk about mine yet, but I'm super excited to someday. Um, <laughs> it's very different. It's very different from Skyhunter, and it made me really, really happy to write. This is like probably the only time in my life that I've ever really enjoyed writing a first draft. Which I never like. So. I wish I could say more than that. <laughs> yeah. What about, what about you, Marissa? What are you working on next? Um, well, okay. So I've got Gilded coming out in November. So I'm mostly working on the sequel to Gilded is, is oh, kind of the primary focus. Um, and now I've got this silly thing that I'm writing for the Cinder 10 year anniversary that I haven't actually started writing yet, but I've been brainstorming and outlining it. And I'm like, so excited. Oh, that is so cool. Um, Allison, I don't know. Do you want to, do you have an answer? What are you working on? I know you're getting your degree, but do you have like a writing project you want to talk about or anything? Um, yes. Well, the next thing for me is trying to finish my undergrad, but (laughs) (laughs) that is a big, big thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, just that. Just going just to college, that. you know. No, no big deal. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm juggling like two different writing projects, or I'm trying to on top of school. It's not really working oh for God. me, but hopefully one of these days I can sit down and write one or both of them. So I know you're doing amazing at juggling it. And I, I really hope you get a chance to write to finish them both. Thank you. <laughs> It is, it is hard. I remember being in college and trying to also work on my like fun, creative side projects and it is not easy. So kudos for anything that you can get done. Absolutely. Lastly, where can people find you? Um, I'm mostly on Instagram these days at Marie Lou, the writer. Um, and every now and then I'll pop in on Twitter, um, to answer my notifications, but that's usually where I haunt. Um, I don't know why anyone would want to find me, but because <laughs> you sound awesome. We all oh, want to be friends. <laughs> Thank you. I, I like friends. So if you want to follow me, um, I'm on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter under the uh handle the B Way Fangirl, B Way like the abbreviation of Broadway. So mm. oh I love it. <laughs> I will find you on Instagram. Oh that was not meant to sound creepy, but I will find <laughs> you. But I yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sound creepy it's cool (laughs) awesome Allison Marie thank you both so much for joining me today this was super fun this was so fun thank you so much Allison for your wonderful questions and thank you Marissa for having me on your amazing podcast and I'm so excited for Gilded (laughs) thank you I'm so excited for this pandemic to go away so we can hang out in person again oh my god I wish (laughs) it end already (laughs) I miss everybody yeah Readers, be sure to check out Steel Striker. Um, It is available now. Of course, we always encourage you to support your local indie bookstore if you can. If you don't have a local indie, you can check out our affiliate store. That's at bookshop.org slash shop slash Marissa Meyer. Coming up next week, I will be talking to none other than Soman Chinani about his new collection of fairy tale inspired short stories beasts and beauty. 
please be sure to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Marissa Meyer Author and at Happy Writer Podcast. Until next time, stay healthy, stay cozy, and whatever life throws at you today, I do hope that now you're feeling a little bit happier.